0: For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Grass withers, and the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So just a bit of where we've been. This is our uh, last sermon in the first chapter of Luke. So, We made it, all right, all the way through one chapter. Nice work, people. Seven sermons, and this is our final one in chapter one of the book of Luke. But there's been a lot that's gone on in just one chapter, right? We've got this story here this morning is about Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist. Earlier in the chapter, Zechariah is serving in the temple. The angel Gabriel shows up, prophesies, tells him, you will go home and your wife Elizabeth, who is advanced in years, will bear a child. Zechariah kind of scoffs at that, and as a result, he loses his voice. The angel says, You no more talk, you be quiet. So he loses his voice. And then the angel Gabriel, later on in the chapter, shows up to Mary, the Virgin Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph, and tells her that she will bear a son. They'll call his name Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. And uh, Mary says, well, how can this be? I, I've never known a man. And he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will conceive and bear a son. So Gabriel has shown up a couple of times. Mary goes down and sees Elizabeth while they're pregnant. And uh, the baby, John the Baptist, leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And we have the first of these songs that, that Elizabeth sings Blessed is the mother of my Lord, and blessed you know she sings her blessing, then Mary sings, and then now we get into Zechariah singing. We've read this text, and what we're doing this morning is looking just specifically at what Zechariah sings here. But just before we get into what this song is about, I want to thank for a second about what's, what would you sing if you were put in Zechariah's shoes? You have lost your voice through supernatural intervention for nine months, okay? And so you go home, Elizabeth conceives nine or ten months, whatever, you know. He goes home, Elizabeth conceives, becomes pregnant. They're kind of hidden away for a long time, and Elizabeth specifically. But the angel says that you'll lose your voice until this promise is fulfilled. And so here, after nine months of being able to say nothing, his voice comes back and he's able to sing. You've been silent for nine months after seeing an angel in the temple that promised the birth of your son. There's no reason for you to be able to conceive a child with your wife. And and the doubtfulness of that ability is why you've lost your voice. So now the time comes, the baby is born. What would you say? What do you say first? And what would you be inclined to say? I, this is the kind of thing that I, got, that I really was trying to wrap my mind around as I thought on this this week because... I mean, Zechariah is going to have a son. And to me, if, if something like this was going to happen in his life, it would make sense to me that the first words out of his mouth would be, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, I have a son. And, because, and this is heightened because Elizabeth and Zechariah all advanced in their years and in this culture, uh, not having a child was seen as a, a real reproach. It was seen as uh, God's not favor not shine on you. It was a very, very uh, tough thing for a couple to go through back then because of the social stigma that was involved with this. Barrenness was considered a curse from God in these times. It would have been a heavy weight upon Zechariah's heart all of his life and going past the years of when you would bear children and, and here they are, now they have a son. Wouldn't it make sense? I mean, it makes sense to me that the first words out of your mouth are, bless God, he's given me a son. But this is not what we sing. We see Zechariah sing something different. Why is this what he sings instead of just what would make sense? Thank you, God, for giving me a son. When we talked about Mary and the Magnificat and her singing of the song, we talked about the reality that her life had just gone upside down. Right, I mean, she's a virgin betrothed to Joseph and ends up pregnant, okay? So this is going to be a social stigma that's going to follow her the rest of her life. That she, people are going to question forever if she actually has committed adultery, if she has, you know, been and gotten pregnant outside of marriage, and they're, they're, she has a, her life is going upside down at this point. <laughs> Come on up, bud. <laughs> Her life has gone upside down, right? The, the, her son, not only is she going to bear this kind of weight of infidelity her entire life, but also this son that she's going to have is going to go through a very rough period of three years of ministry in which his very sanity is going to be questioned. There, and they're going to end up crucifying him. They, they, the, we'll see later, Simeon talks about that a, very, a, a, a spear will pierce her own soul her life has gone upside down. And what we stressed was, was and, and marveled at Mary's ability to when life went upside down, yet still bless God. Right? How when life can go upside down, she has such a radical vision of, of the blessing that she has in Christ, in God, in this Messiah that was coming from her. She has such a huge vision of how great this God is that when life goes upside down, she still is able to bless God. Zechariah is the opposite. Zechariah's life isn't going upside down. Zechariah's life is like finally, hey, something good is happening to me. All these years I've waited for something good to happen. And finally, my, this is coming to fruition. Something good is happening. And yet... Zechariah's view of how great this gospel is, how great this God is, and how great this, what the work that God is doing is so grand that even when this good news comes to his life, he still gets, it still gets swallowed up in the grand joy of who God is and what God is doing. There is no doubt that just the news of having a son in his old age would have been very great news Yet Zechariah sees a news so great that it overshadows and engulfs all other good news. That that the joy in, in God's work for His people is so great. The joy in God's work for His people is so great, so glorious, so enormous that no wrecked circumstances in life can steal it and no joy in this life can overshadow it that everything is caught up in this good news of who God is for us and what God is doing among his people wouldn't you like a joy that big i mean that's what i'm on a campaign for is a joy that big that sees what we have in God what we, what we have in Christ what we have in God is so big and so great That no matter what life tries to steal from you, it cannot steal this joy. And no matter how many good things go on in your life, they all just point you back to the highest joy of all. That all of these things, when you turned upside down, when things go well, all of them lead you back to remembering the great joy of the gospel and what we have, what God has done for us and what we have in Christ May God give us eyes to see it. This is what I'm praying. God give us eyes to see this good news. So then, what is the good news Zechariah sees? If, if he's able to, when things go well, still throw his eyes to this ultimate good news, what is this ultimate good news that he sees? And I got, I've got this broke down to six things. We'll not go through all six of them. Don't worry. But, we've, but six things here, he's blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? He has visited and redeemed his people. So sure of it, is he, that he actually speaks of it in the past tense. Interesting. God has, he has visited and redeemed his people. Secondly, he's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Horn meaning not a, not like a trumpet, like he's blowing something, but the horn of a, of a, like a rhino horn or a horn on a, a big ox, that this, this thing is this powerful part of their body. This is why they get things done. The horn of salvation, the strength of this salvation in the house of the servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. So he's got visited and redeemed his people, a horn of salvation, mercy remembered in his holy covenant, sworn to Abraham. So he remembers the mercy of the Abrahamic covenant. We have, in the, we have those. We have a day of service to God. Down in verse 74. 75. That we might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all these days. All these great things are going on. God is visiting, redeeming his people, raising up a horn of salvation, remembering the Abrahamic covenant that we might be able to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. Down in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins and giving light to us. The sunrise shall visit us from on high, giving light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. We could spend a ton of time going through all of those things, going through the Davidic covenant, going through what it means, what God was doing there with David in 2 Samuel, promising that he'll have a a son forever on his throne. We could go and spend a lot of time at the Abrahamic covenant where God promises that through him, all the nation, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, that he's going to have an offspring through which all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But really, when you look at this, Zechariah boils this song down to one main idea. And it is the salvation. It is a salvation song. We see from this singing about his son John, which you can break this up into two parts, right? Verse 76, verses 68 through 75 are all about one person. They're about Jesus. They're about the son. And then verses 76 through 80 through 79 are about his son, John the Baptist. So he's got two different people he's talking about in this song. But when he starts to sing of his son, he emphasizes that his son is going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. All of these things are centering around this salvation idea that what's going to happen is that God is showing up in, John the, in Jesus. John the Baptist is leading the way to show salvation to his people. How and in what? In the forgiveness of their sins. This is the joy that David is desperate for. Turn with me if you have a Bible to Psalm 32, a Psalm of David. David sings of the importance of this forgiveness of his sin. This is the joy <coughs> that David is desperate for. Psalm 32 Reads like this Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and, is, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What was blessing according to David? What did it mean to be blessed according to David? To have your transgressions forgiven to have your sin covered over, to have the Lord count against you no iniquity and to have there be no deceit within you. This is the song that Zechariah is singing about. This is what David is longing for. If you look in Jeremiah, it's an interesting passage, a couple of places. Jeremiah 23 is the one we will look at. Again, a few books back to the right from your passage in Psalms. Jeremiah 23 Verses 1 through 5 and 6. Let's look at that. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah says basically the same thing on back in chapter 33. Zechariah sings of this horn of salvation coming from David because he knows his Old Testament. And he knows that we are looking. We talked about this in the meta-narrative. This longing, this looking for this son of David. This righteous branch who's going to show up and whom we're going to call the Lord is our righteousness. Zechariah is caught up. This one he's been looking for is now showing up. This great plan that God has been orchestrating for millennia is now coming to fruition. God is showing up and what is he doing? He's rescuing his people by the forgiveness of sins. We also see this great fulfillment of this is the this is he's also seen. Zechariah is also seen the great fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham. ...to bless all nations through him and his offspring. That righteousness would come through faith in God's promise... ...is now coming to fruition before his own eyes. In the first three rejoicings... ...we see this universal scope of what God is doing... ...that we have visiting and redeeming his people... ...through the horn of salvation of David... ...through the Abrahamic covenant... ...this grand sweeping design... That God is orchestrating, this grand scope of what he's doing, visiting and redeeming his people. But then it moves on into what, into what will be possible when this is fully accomplished by saying, Look down, I got to back in my Bible. I, I changed my spots. Luke chapter 1, let's go back to there. He, he, he goes from this global to the very personal. And he says in verse. Um, Let's look here. Verse 74. He says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Question that follows from this we go from this global to this very personal that we should be able to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Why would there ever be need to serve the Lord in fear? Our Western culture has no concept of this idea of a God that has any sort of a reason to, to fear. That, that, that there, there's any reason how God could be so big and so impressive and so huge that you should be afraid of him. I mean, it's like you, uh, fear is uh, going to the Grand Canyon and not just getting your car and taking off. But, sorry, that was a... But getting to the Grand Canyon and staying at the edge of this giant vast and the largeness of it, does anyone go out there and, you know, teeter on the edge of the Grand Canyon just for fun? No, I mean, no, it's not fun. That's a t- but there's the fear that comes just in the grandness of the thing. And God, we, but we have no idea, there's no concept of a holy God to be feared, which is a clear indication of our culture's not very good conception, poor conception of, of the Bible, God is holy and He is just, which means He will not tolerate sin. God is holy, God is righteous, and sin is nothing that He will tolerate. Which is big trouble for each one of us. Big trouble for each one of us. Romans three twenty three: All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The real, the reality that Zechariah remember he goes into the in there to the temple, and would have been a very scary thing to do because to bring sin into the presence of the Holy of Holies to present this incense that he does earlier in chapter 1, we have instances in the Old Testament of, of people bringing strange fire, bringing improper sacrifices, and they are struck dead by bringing, daring to bring sinfulness into the presence of a holy and righteous God. That is lost on our culture. This idea that God could be that big, that impressive, and that serious. But Zechariah declares that a day is coming when we don't have to serve him with fear, but in holiness and in righteousness. This is what Christ does accomplish for his people. Colossians chapter 1, just quickly. Colossians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 21. says this about, G, about us. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How does he do this? How does this savior, how is this rescuer going to do this? How is this rescuer going to, like Zechariah sings about, make a way so that we can be presented but would serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness. The Savior, this Son, is coming, and what is He going to do? He's going to bear in His own body the, the reproach that we deserve, the evil deeds that we have done. He has now reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach for Him. How are we going to be able to serve without fear and holiness and righteousness? because of the work of this Son, because of the work of Christ. He's going to come to earth, live the righteous life we all should live, die the death that we deserve as sinners, so that through repentance and faith in this work, we could be forgiven of our sins, reconciled back to our God, and serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness, not because of our good works, but because of the good work of this Son, This is the grand news Zechariah is singing of. We can be reconciled to this holy, terrifying, great, huge God, not by our own effort, which would fail us, but through the work of another, through this son, who's going to reconcile us back to this God. This is the grand news Zechariah gets caught up in. Zechariah is caught up in the ultimate good news ...that Christ the Messiah is bringing. He could have just sung about his son, right? Zechariah could have just sung about his own son... ...but with a larger gaze, with his eyes firmly fixed on a higher reality... ...just singing about his son is not enough. He is caught up in the ultimate, final joy of the son. He doesn't settle for just singing about his son... ...which would be justifiable and understandable... But he lets that joy reflect his eyes to the greater joy of not just his son, but the son who is coming to bring the ultimate good news and good news forever. At the end of it all, I want to be, and I want us all to be, so caught up in the final good news that Zachariah sings about, that no matter what happens, our hearts can sing. That when times go upside down, we look at what God has done for us in Christ and we sing. And when good news happens, it, we don't terminate our joy in some temporal good news, but it even reflects our gaze up to the ultimate good news of what we have in Christ. It's the way Paul talks in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, Whatever gain I had, even the good things Paul had going, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss in comparison to the surpassing privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and having a righteousness not found in my own, but found in Christ. Philippians chapter 3. You can read that later if you want to. In closing, I had a real-time experience of that this week. It's interesting, God has put these two songs, Mary's and Zachariah's, at interesting points in my life. When life went upside down, I was focusing on Mary's song. And we got some good news this week. So we took uh, Jana back to the cardiologist, you know she, had the, she was born with a congenital heart defect and we got that rewired back in January and this was her one year appointment and she goes and, and gets the EKG, she's over there sleeping on Melissa right now, she's doing good, uh, we go and get the EKG and get an x-ray and all this stuff our, and we go back to, the, to consult with the cardiologist and he decides it's not even worth doing an echo on her, that um, she's growing so well, everything else looks so good. There's no reason to put everyone through the stress of going through an echo. He says, "There's she's doing great." With that he'll see us in a year. He says. So you know, when life when when you get handed a bunch of bad news, you kind of it's not right. You kind of get used to just expecting to get bad news. Does anybody else ever go through that? You know, it's just like you know, I'm just waiting for the you know, it's this what's the next bad news? Okay, what else is going to go wrong? And unfortunately, and sinfully, I walked in kind of just expecting there to be some sort of bad news. And we got good news. And as I was walking out, some dust flew in my eye because it was windy that day and it made me get a little teary <laughs> from the dust. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was crying. She's my little girl and I was, I was uh, so excited to get good news. Isn't it good to get good news? I mean, it's not, there's nothing profound in this. like, oh, that guy, he's real smart. You know, He knows that good news is good. Of course good news is good. Good news is always good, but it hit me that the joy that there is in getting this temporal good news is just a foretaste of the best news ever, and that we want to take moments of getting good news, something good happens, you know, you have something good go on, and not let the joy terminate on that, but let it throw your gaze to the day when there is nothing but good news forever nothing but the best of news forever, that Christ has come and has accomplished the forgiveness of your sins, that He has done the work, that through repentance and faith we can be forgiven of our sins, reconciled to this God, granted eternal life, and be in the fullness of His joy forever. That's good news. That's good news. And I want, Zechariah sings, because yes, he has good news in his life right now, but it makes him throw his eyes up to this good news feels so good. I've got to sing about the best news that there is ever. This is what Christ has given us. A news so great that when life goes upside down. <laughs> when life goes upside down. Or, or is a joy? I mean that's a joy. Come on. When life goes upside down. This joy can't be stolen. And when good things happen, it just raises, it's a foretaste of the ultimate joy that is ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is this joy yours? I want this joy to be yours. I want this joy to be yours. I want the bedrock of this joy to be yours. Do you have the taste buds for this joy? Let's turn to Christ. Turn from our sin. Trust him and have full joy in this good news the greatest of all news forever. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and tongues that have the taste for all that Christ is for us. Help us to see this good news for what it is that is a bedrock when life goes upside down and is just uh, the thing that, is, it's a, that our taste buds um, just barely begin to taste when things go well Such a great good news, such a great gospel. God, give us eyes to see it and hearts that fully rejoice in it. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen.